All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I'm excited to discuss an off day today, as we we don't necessarily have to do anything too crazy today. We're going to go through some Q&A. We're going to start off with uh, some conversation about Nikola Jokic's defense in general. Let me just make sure that this is promoed out and making sure that everybody knows we're going live. We'll do it live. Uh, should be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm excited about this one. And to help me on this podcast, I, I kind of wanted to give everybody an opportunity to be introduced to a very special guest. Michael, why don't you pop in here real quick? Uh, he is Michael Ferraro. Uh, Ferraro, excuse me. I keep I keep thinking Ferraro in my head. I promise you you're not the first person to say it like that. So you're, uh, you're good. Right. I have no idea why that keeps happening. I keep saying that in my head and that it comes out of my mouth. Uh, Michael Ferrero, who is a fantastic producer and has been behind the scenes of this podcast for a long time, uh, really do appreciate Michael for uh, staying up with me, whether it's at two o'clock in the morning and we're just shooting the shit, whether it's uh, just wh- whatever it is, where where we are, we're hanging out. He's doing stuff on the back end, making sure that this all flies smoothly, making sure that the transition for me to the video side of things is good enough. And, and Michael has been fantastic. Michael's also been uh, a Nuggets fan and a Nuggets watcher for a long time. Michael, why don't you give the general watching audience just a, a little bit of a background for you as a Nuggets fan? Yeah, well, I've been a Nuggets fan all my life. Um, actually, my first memories of watching Nuggets basketball was probably the late 90s, like 96, 97, 98 with my dad when yeah. when they were led by that awful Bill Hanslick team, which not his fault, by the way. But um, when they were like 9-73 and 73 or 10-72 and 72 or however bad that record was, that was kind of my first uh, memory of watching basketball. So, I mean, I grew up here as a native. And then uh, when, I, uh, when I, I went to DU and I graduated from there and – joined altitude and I was doing pregame stuff for the nuggets for seven, eight years before I came over to mile high sports. So um, all of my professional career has been centered around covering the nuggets. So um, it's, I'm so excited to be on here with you now, obviously, because um, you were one of my main followers when I first started working at altitude. So it's kind of crazy that we're kind of working together now, but uh, the way you put together your uh, rotation numbers and the, and the timing on that is just something that's I always thought was really cool. So followed you for some more in-depth stuff and here we are. Well, I, of course, I appreciate it. Michael always, he always uh, criticizes me in the background. So don't take this any, don't take any of these convert, these, uh, these compliments of face value or anything like that. This is just Michael at his best. Uh, really do. Well, where everyone can see me. The second I can hide myself, I'm just going to tear you apart again. So you've got like a half hour here where I'm going to sing your praises. <laughs> uh, Poppy, I was never on the DNVR podcast. I, I did some guest appearances there and may continue to do some, but uh, that I was never a part of DNVR, unfortunately. But uh, I'm not unfortunate. Like it's just like they're 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 a group, and we're our group here at MHS. Like that's like we've had we've had a great time building what we've done together. And Michael's been a big part of that over the course of this. Oh, where now he's just kind of well, yes, you, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Come on. Don't. What I will say though is this: if if you if you guys out there are loyal followers, or you're just joining in now, or whatever the case may be, this guy right here over the weekend, um, his podcast peaked at what do we what do we find it was number sixty five in the world in basketball references ahead of ahead of Mr. Richard Jefferson, who uh, is not really loved around here right now. But so if you want to if you want to get some real takes on the Nuggets, <laughs> Ryan's your guy to go to, and not uh, not RJ. Uh, shout out to Swipa. Swipa definitely helped us out there, and he's uh, he's going to be a part of this for for a lot of it. But we we try to cover this team genuinely, and like it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about Nikola Jokic and and his defense in this particular podcast because I think that we are at a good opportunity to like we're we're at a good place to be honest about this part of the conversation where. You've seen the shortcomings in previous years. You have seen them up close as well at altitude, just knowing kind of uh, that conversation being like having really good access to various conversations. You, uh, you mentioned Bill Hanslick earlier. I know that you have a pretty good relationship with him and, and him yeah, being able to really be able to describe the defensive side of the game and, and what it takes. And I know that Bill is like his, his main thing when Denver is up or, or if they're just kind of, floating a little bit is they've got to lock in on the defensive end, whether it's protecting the paint or just getting more physical or whatnot. Like he, he has a very, uh, very concerted 
method on, on, on how Denver is supposed to be playing. And so you've got a pretty good perspective here, having watched with him and watched with a lot of the folks at Altitude, but also just knowing what, what it takes for teams to win a title in today's day and age. So I think that we have a good opportunity here to be able to talk about Jokic. Uh, before we get into some of this, is there anything off the top that you want to talk about with Jokic's defense just to uh, sort of set the stage on what we're going to talk about here? Well, when we kind of talked a little bit offline before we started this, we were kind of brainstorming what we wanted to call this. And when you came up with, is Nikola Jokic's defense good enough to win a title? I think those two words right there, good enough, uh, accurately describes this season for him. Yes, he is good enough. And I think the biggest thing that I've noticed this year, which gets glossed over by every national media member because we have to talk about everybody else instead, is that Jokic has the best defensive rating. And I know I know we're trying to stay away from analytics because this is what people were like, oh, he's a, you know, we're getting to, to the advanced stats. But if we're going to prop up certain guys like Giannis and Joel Embiid for their defensive numbers, and there's no reason not to, obviously, they're great defenders. But Jokic has the best defensive rating of any of the five starters on the Nuggets. So you have the best, essentially, I know KCP is brought here to be a perimeter defender, and we talk about Aaron Gordon's uh, strengths on the defensive end as well. But Nikola Jokic is leading the team in that category. I mean, there's got to be some kind of praise for him there, don't you think? Think about where he's come from. But the narrative of him not being able to play defense is just, it's its old. You know, it may, may have applied five years ago, but he's not the same player on that end of the floor. And I think he's made more of a concerted effort to not only protect the rim, I think I wouldn't say vertically because, you know, that's, he's just not a shot blocker. It's not who he is. Um, but we, we mentioned it last week when we were talking about Paul George and that um, on his podcast, he mentioned something about when, when, they, when the Clippers played him not too long ago. George said something when he was playing defense on Jokic. They, they cycled him. They cycled Kawhi Leonard. They said there were passes thrown to him, and Jokic's hands are so fast that they'd be steals for anybody else in the league. And if that's true, then on the defensive end, I mean, that has to carry over as well because – he gets his hands in the passing lane so much better than he gets credit for. Um, I, he, he was leading the team in steals for a long time. I think I think KCP passed him, I don't know, a week or two ago. Um, but for a seven-footer to average over a steal a game is nuts. And I know it's a little watered down because of what Embiid is doing. But I think, like I said before, that good enough is exactly how you would describe it because he is a much-improved defender from where he's been the past four or five seasons. Yeah, so let's talk about it. I think – there's a lot of context that needs to go into this conversation because the the version of Jokic that is approaching this playoffs, I think is even different than the one that was approaching last year's playoffs and the playoffs before and the playoffs before that. And he, he's now going to be in the playoffs. This will be his fifth season. 2018-19, actually, we're just going to pull this up right now. 2018-19, he actually had a really strong defensive rating, 107.5. Uh, that's really good, even though some of this is era-adjusted where you, you probably had to be even better than what it seems like now. Uh, they played against the Spurs. They played against the Blazers. It wasn't necessarily the strongest competition from the offensive end, and I think the Blazers at that point were a lot more limited in general. Uh, I do think that over the course of these last three years, though, that 117.2 number, 123.5 second to last year, and 122.5 last year, those are egregious. Those are really bad numbers when it comes to like what, what your expected offensive output is, what is a realistic number that you should put up, even that even that can good players and good teams can put up versus what Denver was allowing on the defensive end. I can understand why people look at these numbers and they're like, ah, I don't know. Like it just it doesn't look like he can actually do it, even from a, a, an analytics perspective, even from a, a statistical perspective. This is me kind of like trying to bridge the gap between people here. A lot of the numbers that paint Jokic as a good defender in the regular season kind of go out the door in the playoffs. So you've got the defensive, like the steals, that that's great, that's awesome. But if there are three possessions where he gets a, a hand on a basketball, maybe generates a steal, in the grand scheme of things, if they're if he's on the floor for about seventy-eight to eighty possessions, there are seventy-seven possessions, let's say, that he doesn't get a hand on a ball. And those really add up if, if the defense can, or if the offense, the opposing offense can really navigate that well. So I want to take this from the perspective of both sides, because I understand that I know that Nuggets fans want to defend Jokic in this conversation. I know that it's, it's a very strong and, and very conscious point that they're trying to make here. In general, though, I understand why people are skeptical. No, I think that's a fair point. But I, and I also think if you're going to these 
defensive ratings in the playoffs the last couple of seasons, you also have to factor in who is on the floor with him, right? You had Faku and Austin Rivers and Will Barton's whatever he was at, 30% of what he could do last year. I mean, that's three guys right there that, no disrespect, but they're not going to stay in front of anybody. Like those right. three people, the, the three of them could not guard on the perimeter. So then he was stuck in positions. Well, well, do I come up and step up? Do I protect the rim? Do I drop? He got, I think he got caught in a lot of situations like that. Um, so I think that played a big factor into it. I, I think that's one of those things that you can't necessarily ignore. And then that's not to say that excuses the numbers, but I think that's a big part of it is when you're playing with three or four other guys that aren't, let's just say they're not good perimeter defenders at all. I mean, they've got, they're allowing open lanes to the rim. Um, there's gaps on the floor all over for, for guards to penetrate and either kick or, or go through. Um, so I think that makes a difference. And I think on the other end of that is last year, because of what they had to throw out there offensively, he was probably drained because he had to carry the load every night for them to even have a shot. And it was like that the year before too. So yes, you would want to see more out of that on the defensive end, obviously. Um, and I think the other important factor is that you have to figure out a way to play against the pick and roll when you get in the playoffs because Chris Paul has cooked the Nuggets two years ago. He cooked the Nuggets in the playoffs. I mean, there was no stopping him. So if that means you have to come out and hedge more, if we have to ice, we have to blitz the pick and roll, like whatever you have to do because what has been done in the past isn't working. And I think that there were fair criticisms of Michael Malone in that in the last couple of years, but I think that this year, more than any other year, he's kind of figured out a way to make Jokic A more – um, effective defender, but B, they've with Calvin Booth, they've brought in so many pieces around him to help him out in those situations. So I think when you get to the postseason this year, it's going to be a little bit different. Now, granted, I could be wearing some Homer glasses there, um, but I really do think that it matters who's on the floor because even even Michael Porter Jr. has shown signs of, hey, I can actually kind of play defense now when I feel like I want to be engaged on that end of the floor. So one of the reasons, and I, I actually think that this is some good added context. Uh, last year, you're right that he, he got cooked a little bit and the Nuggets got cooked a little bit because guys couldn't really stay in front of the Warriors. Guys couldn't really like he couldn't guard at the three point line and at the rim and against the Warriors. You kind of have to do both and, and you have to be quick enough to switch. You have to be quick enough to do just about everything in order to guard a team like the Warriors, especially with the way that they were playing. Now, Denver couldn't really punish them at the other end. And that was one of the other reasons why, hey, if you take away Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., it's going to be really difficult to tire out Steph Curry, to tire out Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, guys like that. Uh, you have to do everything against a team like that and do it well, and just Denver just didn't have the resources to do it. Back in 2021, we've talked about this before offline, Michael Porter Jr. got hurt. He got hurt in game one of that series, and it wasn't really publicized. People were uh, – they didn't really know what it was. It was just more of a – like everybody thought, okay, Denver is just kind of making excuses. No, like he got, he tripped over Faku and fell on his back and couldn't move. And that was the reason why Denver decided, okay, we have to play drop coverage. We cannot play uh, the aggressive defensive scheme that we want to play because uh, Michael Porter can't execute it with the way that he's feeling, with the way that he's like moving out there. So Denver had to go to, in games two, three, and four, they had to go to a more drop coverage system where they just had to survive. And they couldn't survive because Chris Paul made them pay, like you talked about. I think they have better defensive versatility this year. And I think they have better defensive talent this year. I think that they've got a lot of things going for them this year that, in general, they didn't have in each of the previous two years. I think it's more going to look like 2019-20 than it is going to look like either of the last two years. I think they will be able to lock in. They will be able to do more with Jokic on the court. And it isn't just going to be a complete tire fire like it has been at times each of these last two. Right. I think the other thing, I mean, if you just look across their starting lineup, Jamal Murray, upgrade over Faku, upgrade over Austin Rivers, uh, upgrade over Monte Morris on the defensive end. Look at KCP, upgrade over Will Barton. Michael Porter Jr. is back in the lineup. Aaron Gordon is back. Like, I, I know he was not fully himself last year. Um, for part. So, I mean, you've got a starting five of guys that aren't necessarily world-class defenders, but guys that will give you a real look. So, like you said, you can play more aggressive. You, can, you don't have to sit and drop. Um, but let's be honest. Last year when, <laughs> when Jokic got switched onto Steph Curry on the perimeter, what center in the NBA can guard Steph Curry? The answer is none. There is nobody that is <laughs> – guards have a hard enough time guarding him. 
So all this narrative, oh, well, Jokic got pulled because you think Embiid's stopping Curry on the perimeter? And that's no disrespect to Embiid, but it's just, it is what it is. Like those guys cannot go. Seven Curry has changed the game of basketball for a reason. And it doesn't matter who you throw out there. Anyone over seven foot is going to be put in a blender if they try to stay up. It just, it, that part of it was, t- and I know that probably contributed to some of these numbers too, because he got switched into, into situations like that. Um, but I mean, I think the other thing that you don't, there's no measure for this. And so we're not really going to be able to tell until the postseason rolls around. But to me, it seems like, I don't know what your thought is on this, but I feel like he is much more engaged from a vocal standpoint on the defensive end of the floor than he's ever been before. I've never seen him in huddles like he has been this year. He's taken the marker and the clipboard from Malone and the whiteboard and drawing plays up and talking through things. And I think he, I don't want to say he wants it more because I think he's always wanted it. I think, I think he's a super competitive, intense guy. I think his ho-hum attitude and his just friendly demeanor kind of hides that. But I think this year he realizes what he has around him. And so I think he's made a more concerted effort to be better on the defensive end of the floor because he knows he's got guys around him that can do it. I mean, you can still bring bring in Bruce Brown and Christian Brown off the bench as well, and those guys are good defenders too. So you can go seven deep if you need to, and then throw in, I mean, we'll see what happens with Thomas Bryant and Zeke Naji, but um, Naji can defend. So you've got, much, you've got much more of a competitive fire on the defensive end with the, the supporting cast as well. I am, I'm really curious because I've got an article coming out tomorrow. There's a lot of it is about belief and, and that this team really believes in itself and believes in each other. And I do believe that Denver didn't have that last year, that there's just a feeling that you get that, okay, kind of running through mud, really stuck in the mud or, or whatever the phrase is, you're, you're not necessarily in full lockstep on what the team was supposed to was supposed to provide and, and supposed to be. I think they knew that Michael Porter wasn't going to be back. I think they knew that Jamal Murray wasn't going to be back, or at least had those sneaking suspicions based off of, Hey, there were, there were things that were said, there were things that were made possibilities. And then those possibilities were taken off the table and the team was like, Oh, okay. So I guess it's just us. And then there was a lot of, there was a little bit of deflation in like early March or so last year where it, it felt like, okay, they didn't necessarily believe that they could do it. They kind of knew who they were. And that's one thing that I don't think that this team has. I think they believe that they can do it. I think they really do believe that they have the group that it takes to get to the promised land. They, they know their team and they know it inside and out. They know each of these guys is going to go to bat for the other. And to me, that makes a whole deal of difference where you just know that everybody is pulling the same direction and you've seen yourself do it over and over again in the clutch. And you've seen yourselves lock in on the defensive end throughout this year. And it's kind of built over the course of the season, but I do think that it it just does feel different than it has in past years to the point where, yeah, you, you didn't know whether Denver was going to be able to lock in when necessary or what that level actually looked like. I think we've seen briefly what that level looks like this year. And Denver doesn't have to get to that for the entirety of the playoffs, but they just have to pick and choose their spots enough that if they execute at the right time, at the right pace, they'll be able to get it done. No, I agree. And we, we talked about it a little bit last night after the game. Um, first of all, I think that last year, that's a game that they lose. I think they're diff- They're totally different this year. Um, the, the mentality is different. I, the chemistry is something that you can't measure either. And I think the main, t- the main thing we talked about last night was with Reggie Jackson with his postgame comments. Um, Reggie's been in the league for a long time. He's been on a lot of different teams. He's a vet that understands his role. A guy like that isn't going to come in here and just say things about how well the pieces fit together, how close the locker room is, how mature the the team chemistry is, how much they want to. Like, there's no re- he has no benefit to do that. Just he's not going to say it just to say it. So when you get a vet that comes in and fits in right away and recognizes that this group is pretty special, I, I think that's a huge positive. And I think. I think that more than anything, like you just alluded to, is it's the belief. Um, last year, yeah, I don't see, I don't think they didn't believe, but after Jokic, after a rookie Bones, after Jeff Green and Will Barton's injury, like they really had nothing, and so now you have so much more around you. So that way, you know, I mean, Nikola Jokic has guys like Jamal Murray. He's got guys like Aaron Gordon. He's got guys like Michael Porter, even KCP, who's 
shooting over 40% from three. He's got, he's got help around him where he doesn't have to do everything. And I think maybe that will help him on the defensive end as well. There's no doubt about it. And, and I think we probably should wrap it up with this. I have on the bottom of the screen now for those listening on audio uh, target number for the offensive rating. I think for this Nuggets team should be about 122 when Jokic is on the floor and that the defensive rating should be 115. 115 is not a great number. It's not like this absurd defense. I think if you're if you're the Bucks or if you're the Cavs or the Memphis Grizzlies or something, you're trying to hold it under 110 because that's great defense. That's just what what it takes to be an elite defense in the NBA this year. I don't think that Denver needs to be an elite defense. I don't think that with Jokic on the court, like they're going to have weaknesses. Jokic has weaknesses. He's not a rim protector. He doesn't have the speed that you need to switch everything. He doesn't have the like aggressiveness and like he has like a seven foot three wingspan. And that's, that's awesome. Sometimes he doesn't use it all the time. And if that like doesn't always happen during the scope of an actual playoff game, Denver will struggle at various points. The difference is, is that like you talked about, he's going to have more energy than ever before heading into these playoffs. He's going to have more, I I believe motivation. You may not believe it, but I believe more motivation than ever before to get it done this year. And I think this is very much a do or die season for a lot of people on the team. I think everybody believes that if they can't get it done with this group, what group could they get it done with? Like uh, imagine like you have the perfect formula around Jokic. Obviously Murray didn't make an all-star game this year. AG didn't make an all-star game this year, but they're like, they can have all-star caliber nights all the time. And so I think that this group, they know that their bread is buttered on the offensive end. Like they know that that's going to be what they do. But in order to like, if you lock in on the defensive end enough to a point where you have at least a margin, then that's, I think, the most important piece to me. Denver, they can't settle for, like, just breaking even. Like, it can't be a 116 offensive rating when your defense is a 115. Because of the bench, because of everything that's involved with that, Jokic needs to carry those lineups. Denver can't be a plus one. They need to be a plus 10. They need to be a plus 12. There are going to be times where, the bench and, and any of the, like the four minutes that Jokic sits out in a playoff game, the Nuggets are minus 10. And so he's going to have to be a minus, or he's going to have to be a plus 11. And that's just kind of how the, the math works out on this, where it's going to be hard. And there's, there's a really high expectation there, but they are going to have to hit it. And I think that they can, I don't see any reason why they can't hit it, but it is going to take everybody and it's going to take some serious effort and then the defense may not be perfect anyway, but it doesn't have to be perfect. No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, as long as you have a fighting chance on the defensive end, which is so weird to say about a Michael Malone coach team for a guy that's supposed to be defensive minded and defense first, this might be the best offensive team the NBA has seen outside of 2016 Warriors in 10 years. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I do think that Malone deserves credit for pushing them in the right direction. Like the team did not start well for, for where they were at at the beginning of this year. And I was yelling and screaming my head off on this podcast, being like, what in the world is going on? I cannot believe they're ranked 28th and neither could Michael Malone because he sees what we're seeing right now, where over the course of literally the last 41 games, like you take out the first 24 games and you just look at the previous four and you you look at the last 41, they are fourth on offense and seventh on defense. It's a, and it's a pretty good sample size, too. That's half yeah. your games. Literally half of a season. Like like 41 games. That is a chunk of the year. And they were just so horrible at the beginning that it kind of waters that down. But in general, I do think that there's capability there. And Denver, they don't need to do anything crazy. Has it felt like they've sold out on the defensive front and, and like like gone into sixth gear on that end so far? Like I, I don't even think that they've gone into sixth gear. I think that they've ramped it up at various points in the game but it doesn't feel like they've played a full game of defense yet. No. And I think the other thing when you mentioned that is if, if there's, I don't know if they, it's more of a young team problem. I don't know if they ratchet it up for certain games and kind of relax in other games when they, like when they play Houston, they know they can score 150 if they really want to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe not that, maybe not to that extent, but 
Um, so you win those games like 140 to 125, something, you know, something along those lines. Um, but you mentioned something last night. And I don't remember exactly how you said it. you're going to have to rephrase it, but their numbers in the clutch time are incredible. And that's really when it matters. Those last five minutes of the game in a close game. I mean, if that is when your defense has is, is peaking, then you really don't have a problem. Lots of it. Like uh, Brian Windhorst of ESPN, who, who does a great job, by the way, um, Brian Windhorst came out with an article today after the game that they won last night and talked about Denver's clutch clutch numbers and how clutch stats don't necessarily translate to the playoffs. Like it, a lot of it is more of a like your your previous 43 minutes are way more indicative of your performance than the the last 5 minutes of the game for the vast majority of teams that enter the playoffs. Denver's been great in the first 43 minutes but they've been even better in the last five, I think what it shows me is that they have the capability to raise their ceiling on the defense. Not necessarily that they'll do that every single time, but there will be games within a, within a series where let's say they hold the suns to one Oh four, as opposed to like, I don't know, they're going to have probably if they, let's say they play seven games against the suns, they'll probably have four games where they allow at least one They'll have two games where they allow at least one Oh five. And then there will be one game where they allow a hundred, and it's not like crazy to think that they can they can hold a team like that in a clutch game to a hundred five points. Like I think that they can do that. Will it be hard? Sure. Like the Suns are going to be fantastic, but I do think that Denver has a level that they can reach. It's just not. It's they're not going to reach it all the time, and that's just kind of who they are. Yeah. If you've listened to the the broadcast, Scott Hastings has always said, well. The first team to score 120 points is going to win the game. And the hands like comes back at him from the studio saying, no, they got to play defense. Hopefully they're getting to the point right now where they can kind of combine those thoughts because that's just the way the NBA is now. Like you got to play a team with Devin Booker, Chris Paul, um, and then Kevin Durant. <laughs> the spacing is ridiculous. You can't stay in the middle of the floor. You, you can't really guard people physically. You can more in the playoffs than you can in the regular season, but you're going to be in foul trouble. I mean, what are you supposed to do with guys like that? So I think I think that number that you said right around 115-ish is probably pretty good as far as a rating because, like you said, you could you could hold them one night to 102, 104, which is crazy to say that's a low-scoring game. but um, And then get away with one winning another one, like 119 to 113 later on in the sure. series. Like that, because you have the capability to go down and score almost on every trip um, if you're playing efficient basketball. And – <laughs> Jokic is the efficient, the efficiency merchant. So we already oh, yeah. know that he is more than capable of doing that. We love efficiency merchants here. We know exactly what it takes to win championship level basketball. You got to be a merchant at times. And that's fine. That's fine. But in general, I do think that Denver, they're well set up. And I think that if there is going to be a year where Jokic really figures it out on the defensive end, it's this year where he's still in his physical prime at 28 years old where you've got a lot of surrounding talent and athleticism and defensive capability around him. And then you've got the desire to right some of the wrongs, I think, that have been said about him nationally. And so I think there are going to be a lot of opportunities for him to change some narratives up a little bit. And I do think that these next two, three years are going to be all about that. And Nuggets fans, you, you should be happy because – it does feel like things have gotten a little bit out of whack nationally, but in general, I think that Jokic is, is going to be just fine. So we will see, but Hey, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss, actually, we're going to go Q and a. So everybody in the comments, if you have questions, make sure to drop them in the live chat. We are going to do some Q and a with the live chat, but also we've got some questions set aside just in case. Uh, but first, this podcast, as you guys know, it's brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook. Make 2023 the year you beat Vegas. Superbook Sports gives you the best chance every week to go head-to-head -head with the best odds makers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports, just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. So make sure to go download the Superbook Sports app now and visit Superbook.com and visit or, and, and start your battle against Vegas right now. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700.
pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. As always, make sure to drop a like on the YouTube video if you're watching there. Make sure to subscribe to the MHS YouTube channel. Uh, we will be going live again on Wednesday, going live again on Friday, and going live on Sunday with Swipa on that day on our weekends with Swipa episode. If you're on the audio side, make sure to go check that out as well. We've got plenty to discuss there. Uh, first and foremost, Michael, uh, we've got some Q&A here. We've got some opportunities uh, for Q&A. Everybody, make sure to drop your questions in if you have them. Uh, I am excited to be able to get to this one. We should have a lot of fun with it. Um, Zamora, I saw Zamora hanging out in the chat earlier tonight. Shout out to Zamora. He asked a question earlier on Twitter that I want to make sure to get to. Should the Nuggets prioritize health at all cost and sit MPJ, Aaron Gordon, Jamal, KCP as much as possible in the remaining season, or should they go all out and fight for that number one seed throughout the playoffs? When you hear that, Michael, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? The first thing that I think of is potentially fighting off rust. Um, I think prioritizing health is huge. And I think if there's a way for Michael Malone to stagger guys as they, I mean, there's really no, I guess there is, but there's not really a realistic chance that I see where the nuggets don't hang on to being the number one seed, right? That's almost all but locked up. I mean, something crazy could happen. Sure. But for all intents and purposes, let's say they're the number one seed. So if you get into the end of the season, the last two weeks, and they've got six, seven games left, you could stagger guys where, Jamal and Jokic play on one night. They don't play the next night. And then you kind of do the same thing with, with AG um, and MPJ. KCP a little bit too. But I don't like the idea when teams full on just rest their guys. And I don't think that's really in the mind of Michael Malone. Um, but I think making sure that guys stay fresh and are playing their best basketball going into the postseason is important. Because yes, Health is, is huge. Obviously, you're not going to win playoff games without your full rotation. That just is what it is. But at the same time, if you rest them and sit guys, I mean, we've seen it across many different sports with many different teams where you rest guys a little bit and then all of a sudden they're rusty. Well, in the Western Conference, if you're playing against, and I don't really see them as a true threat, but it's not like in the East where you can kind of coast through the first round. There's a chance the Nuggets could get LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. Um, does the rest of that roster really scare me? No. I mean, Malik Beasley is a nice piece. So is Vando. Um, but there's that that problem doesn't persist for Boston and for Milwaukee and Philadelphia out east. So you have to be fresh in order to play. He's still, regardless of what's going on this season, there's still Anthony Davis and there's still LeBron James. So you have to be fresh and you have to be playing your best basketball and peaking when you could potentially see them in the first round. So how you find a nice balance of a resting guys, but B also making sure they're ready for the playoffs is above my pay grade. But I think, I think rest is important, but I also think that making sure that you stay in rhythm is even is as, or even more important. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I do think that if I were to project what Denver does, I would say that they clinch the playoff spot. They, they make sure to clinch home court, for the Western Conference, and their magic number is 11. Uh, that might change with, uh, I know Memphis is playing tonight. They're playing against the Lakers. We will see what happens there. But I do think that the number one seed in the West is more important than the number one seed in the NBA. Look, you don't know who's going to come out of the out of the East. It could be Boston. It could be Milwaukee. Milwaukee's currently the team that has the lead in the entire NBA right now. If I go to the league standings right now, uh, Milwaukee's 47 and 18, Denver's 46 and 19. If Denver wins uh, this upcoming game in on March 25th, then they might have an opportunity to really go get that number one seed. But if they lose that game, I'm not really sweating it. I'm not really worried about it other than the fact that it's going to change all this MVP narrative crap. Uh, but in general, I do think that Denver has an opportunity to get the number one overall seed. And there, there is some logic to going for it. Don't get me wrong. It would be nice to know that no matter who you're playing, you're always going to have home court. Uh, but in general, it's it's more important for them to get to the playoffs healthy. I just think they might be able to do both. Right. Like they don't have this most like this, this crazily competitive last few games. They are going to play a, a road trip where they're going to Toronto, 
They'll probably lose that game uh, because Toronto is very, very upset about what happened last night. Uh, they will probably lose to the Knicks, although there's no reason why they can't win that game if Jokic is playing. There's no reason why they can't win any game that Jokic is playing. Like yeah. they, they should probably win every game that it's Jokic is playing, for being honest. If you look at it, too, you can also think of rest as shortening guys' minutes, right? Instead of yeah. fully sitting them, maybe Jamal plays 20 minutes in the last week of the season. Maybe Jokic is out there for 15, something like that, where it's not necessarily a night off, but those aren't taxing numbers on there. Like if you have, if you're here in the last week of the season and they play or last two weeks and, and Jokic is playing an average of 16 minutes a night rather than in the past where they're just trying to hang on and fight for positioning. Like last year, I mean, they locked up the sixth seed, but in, in, in six games, Jokic was well over 200 minutes, right? That's not going to happen in or maybe close to, but that's not going to happen in, you know, this, he'll be under a hundred. You could potentially do that this year if that's all locked up. So that's, that's another way where you could find a way to sneak in some rest. Um, but I'm with you. I, I think locking up the number one seed in the West is far more important than locking up the number one seed in the NBA because yeah, it'd be nice to have home court advantage, but you just don't know who's going to come out of the East. And wouldn't you rather get there and take your chances than be <laughs> instead of looking too far ahead? I mean, the Western conference is going to be a gauntlet anyway. So if you get out of there, <laughs> I, I like my chances with any team that comes out of the West this year. No, me too. Uh, shout out Alexander. I appreciate the, uh, the, the old name tag there. That's a, uh, that's a good one. I haven't, I haven't heard that one yet. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, like words that I say, like, like phrases that I generally turn. And, and when I, when my brain is not firing as fast as it probably should, but those are, those are pretty fun. Um. Okay, let's move on now. Let's let's do another question here, and, th and then we'll hit some of the live questions, I think. Uh, Fernando asks, how much higher can the Nuggets defense climb, and how much more does it matter in the playoffs? Could the Nuggets also give KCP some nights off and, and give some minutes to Christian Brown? Uh, obviously, we covered this a little bit in this first segment. We're talking about Jokic's defense, talking about like what the actually what the the actual number would be when Jokic is on the court, things like that. Uh, they're currently 13th right now on cleaning the glass. Uh, cleaning the glass is what I use for uh, when I'm trying to filter out garbage time. Like if if you're just going for generalities uh, in general, then I do think that NBA.com is fine. But cleaning the glass does such a great job of factoring out garbage time that it makes more sense in a lot of different cases. Uh, Denver's 13th there. They will probably jump above Golden State after Golden State just gave up 137 to the OKC Thunder, which is crazy, by the way. Um, I think that they could jump above Brooklyn, where Brooklyn has really fallen off right now, and then they... Have I think they've slowed down in terms of the actual defensive talent that they've that they've shown, uh, but we will see what it, what it looks like and where they could actually get to. But I think there's an outside chance that they creep into the top ten by the end of the season. Yeah, and I mean realistically, if you are a top ten defensive team with the offense that you have, you have as good a shot as anybody in the NBA to win a title. Um, I think the defense can climb higher. I think we talked about it a lot earlier, so I don't want to rehash too much of it here, but. I think that competitive nature kicks in once you get to the postseason. Once this, and, and it's been mentioned before by a bunch of people in the chat too, but this team, and you said it too, this team knows what they're capable of. They know what they have on this roster. Um, and, and playoff basketball is just a totally dip, different atmosphere. I mean, you know it from being in the arena from how long you covered this team. Uh, I've been in the arena for four years, but I've been covering it for longer. There's just a different feel when you get into the arena during the postseason. Yeah. So if this is the year where the team really believes that they can go for it and they really think that they are a championship level team, there's no reason it can't shoot up and to be maybe around, they could finish around 10, but it, you get into the postseason, if they're the best seventh, eighth best defensive team in the league, as well as being a top five offensive team in the league, I really think they have as good a shot as anybody to at least contend for time, at least get to the finals. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And uh, like Fernando asked, uh, how much does it actually matter for the playoffs? Like, what does this defensive ranking actually matter? Nothing in terms of, like, I, I do think that you have to be a top 11 defense historically in order to actually win the title. Uh, so Denver, if they can get into the top 11, then it at least puts them into that category where their defense is, quote unquote, good enough. 
Uh, most of the time when you have a defense that's around 10 or 11 or 9 or somewhere around there, then your offense is spectacular. And Denver's offense is spectacular. And the more that they play Jokic, the more the offense is going to be spectacular. So I, I feel like this is going to be an interesting part of the conversation. Uh, he also asks about giving KCP some nights off and getting minutes to Christian Brown. Obviously, that would be great. I've wanted Casey, I wanted Christian Brown in the rotation. I think that they should be going to 10 as opposed to playing the nine-man rotation as often as they do. I know that there's some uh, not-so-great bench minutes that come around when you play the full five-man bench lineup, but I don't think that Denver has to play a five-man bench lineup all the time if they play 10, 10 players. Like They can still stagger. It's just about maybe you go with... I don't know, maybe you go with Reggie in the first half and, and Christian in the second. Maybe you break off the rotations a little bit to give each of those guys a six-minute stint. You know, One of them goes for the first quarter and the third quarter. One of them goes for the second and the fourth quarter, something like that. But there are ways that you can do it and get more creative. I don't really think that that will happen because it's just not something that Malone has done. And, and honestly, that's not something that a lot of coaches do because when you, you're trying to do something uh, in, like easy for the rest of your team to really understand and, and form some good habits and make sure that everybody knows what's going on. When you shuffle around the rotations, like, uh, like you're, uh, I don't know, like you're dealing cards. It's not like players don't really appreciate that. They want to know when they're going to play. Yeah. And I also think that it's hard to implement something like that this late in the season too. Like, I know that Michael Malone has mentioned throughout the course of the year he'd like to find more minutes for Christian Brown, and he he has in spurts. And I think it'd be good for Christian to get minutes down the stretch because you never know if you're going to need him in the postseason. But I just think I actually kind of agree with this as well. Is you could save minutes that way as well. Obviously, you keep guys fresh. Um, but when you get into the postseason, you kind of want to be like you said. Guys want to know when they're playing. Guys want to they they pay attention to these things. Um, when you get to the end, it's, that's something that I don't think a lot of people really put into consideration is that these rotations are kind of, I mean, they're obviously foul trouble factors in, injuries factor in, fatigue, scheduling. But for the most part, these rotations are pretty standard throughout the season for a coach to stick to, especially with their main guys. And right. so it's not like halfway through the third quarter, Michael Malone's going to, it's not like he's coaching a high school basketball team where he's going to walk down his bench and see someone out there struggling and grab someone and say, all right, Christian, you're going to go in and grab grab Bruce or it just doesn't necessarily work like that. So um, when you kind of see that too, when guys get brought up for a 10 day, um, they throw those guys into the rotation to see if they're going to be part of the team or not. They're not just sitting on the bench to sit there, but the coaches and the front office and, and the, and the staff around the head coach, they kind of build a game plan and build a rotation in order to incorporate these guys and see who they mesh well with. So as, as good as, and I totally agree. I would love to see Christian Brown get some minutes. And I think as, as much as that could help. And I think as, um, potentially great as a defensive player he can be in his NBA career. I just think it's almost a little bit too late in the season for him to be reintroduced into the fold. Let's now go. I'm going to hide this really quick. Um, and okay, I lost my place. Let's now go to Michael's question. I think that Michael has a, a good question here from the live chat from a little bit ago. Jokic right now, he's at exactly 10 assists per game. What do you think the odds are that he finishes with a triple-double average? Just Okay, so they've got 17 games left. You don't know how many games Jokic is going to play. Is he going to play 16, 15 minutes at the end? Like, is What's it going to look like? Is Jokic going to be able to log a triple-double in, in this span? Or, or is Denver going to kind of have him fall below those averages in general. So he's not actually averaging a triple double. I, I got to imagine that they're going to go for it. Right. Uh, are, are you, are you asking me if they're going to stat pad? No, no, it's, it's more of just like, Hey, <laughs> I know. we're going we're gonna to put you out there into the game and we're not going to cut short your minutes to like, well, first of all, you can't really stat pad assists. Like, Oh, I can't believe that guy made this shot. So that way he could get an assist. How selfish. Um, I will say Rajon Rondo knows exactly how to stat pad assist. That dude knew when to pass to which Hall of Famer at that specific yeah, time. Yeah, because he had games where he shot, he, he had four points and 22 assists. <laughs> yeah. do, that. Um, do I think that's a, that's a tough question. I don't know. I, I, I think he'll do it. I think there's going to be games where he'll have seven or eight assists. I think there's going to be a couple of games where he could finish with 15 or 16 um, and those kind of balance each other out you know he's going to have at, I mean he's not going to I guess he couldn't but I, 
I don't see there being a situation where he doesn't at least get a couple, three or four more triple doubles throughout the rest of the season. So those will help that. There could be games where he goes for like 24, nine assists and 13 or 13 assists and nine rebounds or something like that and not get the triple double. Um, it could be games where he's 11, 12 and 14 or something like that. So I think it could happen. I don't know if it will. I won't be surprised. Michael makes a good point in the comments too. I, I think he is almost so distanced from the national media and what people say. I could see him spite doing it out of spite and not doing it. Yeah, exactly. He could, he could fin- purposely finish short. So that way people leave him alone about this. Um, but no, I, I think I, I, I would give it like probably like a 65 to 70% chance that he finishes averaging a triple double. I'm going to go lower. I'm going to go 40 to 45%. I think that it's actually plus money now that he should finish with a triple double just because of where the nuggets are at and how the stakes are like, they don't need every win like water. They don't need every win. Like a, they need to have Jokic out there for 35 minutes 40 minutes just gutting out a victory but when when you're actually asking for one but i don't know like there were so last year the suns when they were like they were trying to set records especially franchise records for their team they won 64 games i'm pretty sure last year and they were through game 79 80 like they were still playing hard they were still playing their guys heavy minutes I think that's one of the reasons why they burnt out was because they were so good for so long that it's just really hard to maintain that level. I don't think Denver's going to do that. And I don't think like Jokic, if he, if he plays over 30 minutes a night, like especially maybe over 32 minutes a night for the rest of the year, then I would say, yes, I just don't think he's going to do that. I think there'll be specific games where he does and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe it's going to be really easy for him to get it. Maybe he has multiple games of like, 14 assists in a row and suddenly you've got a little bit of a cushion as opposed to averaging 10.0 on the dot so we'll just have to see I, I think there's some flexibility there but hopefully he can get it it would be really cool like just just objectively it would be really cool for a center to average a triple double like it's just never happened before yeah the only the only counter i would have to that is maybe he's thinking that way because he is a, a basketball savant um what if he's thinking all right i i know i can kick it into gear and i can score it in any clutch situation when it comes to in the postseason, um, he's, he's so selfless and he's so smart that he could play out the rest of the stretch saying, all right, how can I help my teammates get better? How can I help them get in rhythm? How can I help get them more shots? How can I help them see the ball go through the hoops that way? And then the playoffs come, you've got five threats on the floor all the time because last night, I mean, there was, I think what he shoot three times in the first half, two, three times. Three times. I mean, it's just he he does stuff like that though because he sees the game so well. So yeah. there could be times the rest of the season where he puts up six shots a night, which is crazy for an MVP. But that's just kind of the player he is. So I wouldn't be shocked if he did something like that where he's finishing with 12, 13 points, but he's distributing and he pa- and he's passing nearly every possession. It wouldn't surprise me either. Like he's he's very good at what he does, and we'll, we'll just have to see what he does. But I, I do think that. I would I would put it closer to 50-50, maybe slightly less. And it sounds like you are you are up on that. And so I'm I'm hoping for your positivity to to reign reign true here. I think that that would be it would just be objectively cool. Awesome to see. Um, Patrick, who asked a question on Twitter, how can the second unit find ways to get Thomas Bryant the ball when he's established deep post position? This is one of the things. Like this is very obviously more of a niche question where. You, I, I, I think that it's very important for the bench to kind of get going. I think it's very important for them to understand what their identity is. I don't really know what their identity is at this point. I don't know if they have to have one. <laughs> it would be nice if they did, but I don't know what they want to do most of the time. And it just kind of feels like Thomas Bryant is, it feels like he's running around with his head cut off like a chicken. Um, do you concur with that? It's like it just it just sort of seems you know it's awkward. funny when I, when I read this question, the first thing I thought of was on that shot that LeBron hit to take the all-time scoring lead. <laughs> Thomas Bryant is sealed and he's open in the post with his hands up. Yeah. He comes to Denver and he seals his man and he's open with his hands up in the post. Um so he's got position and he's open. I, I don't know if that's really the way Denver wants to run. Um, but I think there is some chemistry with him and Jamal. And I think they can probably work a little bit together more because you're going to need him in the postseason. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't believe that Calvin Booth went out to, to get this guy to get him DNPs in the post in, in the playoffs. Um, so maybe he gets more involved in the pick and roll game. 
I mean, he's not he, he's not a terrible jump shooter, but I don't think that's what they want. I don't think they want to get him out on the wing shooting 15, 18-footers on a consistent basis. He can step out and hit a three occasionally if he's open. But maybe if they incorporate him more in the pick-and-roll game, I don't know. I think it is kind of clunky with Reggie. That's a weird – I don't think they really have figured out how to play together yet, and maybe that's going to come with time since they're both new into the <laughs> into the um, fold. But it just – it seems like – he doesn't really know his role either. And I kind of felt like he felt that way in LA. Um, and I think he's a talented, like he is a skilled offensive center. He's yeah. not great on the defensive end, but he wasn't brought here for that. He's here to spell Jokic and, and make sure that the production doesn't dip too heavily. And I think there's still room for him to be a eight to 12 point per game kind of guy, which is plenty good enough in the 12, 13 minutes. Jokic is off the floor. If it's even that high. I think that. The, the first guy that really came to my mind was Darrell Arthur. I'm sure you'll appreciate this, where back when Jokic was a rookie, one of the main staples of their playbook was it was either setting a, I think it was setting a pick, it was Darrell setting a pick and pop, and then Jokic would duck in underneath, and he, and he would get post position, he would seal, Darrell would dump off into the post, Jokic would catch the ball and, and fire up something on the left or right side of the rim, or he would just try to do a jump hook right over. But in general, it was a play that worked. It was a play that made a lot of sense. And I think one of the things that's that's Denver's been having a really hard time with is their size on the perimeter, where you can't see over the defense if you're Reggie Jackson, if you're Bruce Brown, and you're a little bit undersized on the perimeter trying to get the ball into the post. Like A lot of times you need a guy who's taller, who can just dump it over the top. And that's one of the things that makes Jokic such a great passer, by the way, is he gets to see over the rest of the defense. But Darrell Arthur did that well back in 2015-16. I think that Jeff Green or Vlako Chanchar could do that this time around. You might need somebody else to take on that role. You might need somebody else who is willing and able to make that kind of pass. But that should be something that they look for, if only as like a regular season thing, just to get him a touch here or there. Like you don't have to do it consistently. It doesn't have to be like a staple of your playbook, but it's a, hey, we haven't gotten to Thomas in a while. Let's try to get the seal play. And you you run a one four pick and pop. The power forward gets to the top of the key and then dumps it right into Thomas Bryant, who seals his man for a layup. I think that makes plenty of yeah. sense, and it's not complicated at all. No, it's it's. I mean, you pretty much drew it up brilliantly for him. I. I think that's kind of where he excels anyway because he's so big and he's so physical. And he has pretty so, – I mean, around the rim, not like almost near the restricted area, kind of on the block a little bit, his footwork is pretty good. Now, yeah. once he, when he gets the ball, he's, he's a skilled player. It's not like he doesn't know what he's doing out there. It's just finding ways to get him touches. But I think you make a great point there because if you're able to get him, if he's not the primary – like if, if he's not coming up to set the pick or he's not coming up to, to roll off of that either – then all of a sudden defenses fall asleep because you just don't really see that in the NBA as much anymore. Everything is so perimeter oriented where if you get a quick duck in with a guy that size, I don't see how he couldn't get two, three baskets off of that a night. Yeah. It should be relatively simple. should be relatively straightforward. It doesn't have to be complicated, but sometimes people make it complicated and that's fine. I understand. Um, but hopefully they can make it happen. Hopefully they can figure it out. Uh, let's do a couple more here. Brandon Fitzpatrick in the YouTube comments, he asks, who do you think is the biggest threat for the Nuggets in the West? Um, I think you and I both have the same answer for this. Uh, for me, it's Phoenix. Is that the same question, the yeah. same answer for you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Only because of what they can do on the offensive end. There are just so many options. Although a healthy Golden State kind of worries me a little bit too, just because they have championship pedigree. The only the only reason I would potentially shy away from Phoenix is because their lack of continuity. But I don't know. I mean, you still got three weeks left of the regular season, four weeks left to figure that out. And so that could not be an issue. <laughs> they they could they could win, I don't know, 80% of the games they have left and be just fine. I also think though, with with all the John Morant stuff, that maybe that Memphis drops and Phoenix jumps to two or three and you don't have to deal with them till the finals. And then you have to really focus on golden state, which could be potentially a bigger, bigger matchup for them just because of last year's series. I know you have to try to get revenge against both of them. I think, I think though, when push comes to shove, you have to go Phoenix. I think they're the more talented team. Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant. 
Uh, Devin Booker is a better offensive player than anybody else on the Golden State Warriors outside of Steph. Uh, I would consider Katie and Steph like just equivalent playoff guys where they've both risen to the occasion, had great moments. And Devin Booker's also had great moments against Denver. So that's one of those things where it will be tough. And, and I have no doubt that it will be tough. And then folks are going to probably bet against Denver in that series if it were to happen. Like no matter what Denver did heading into that series, whether they, they won in five games, whether they won in six games, or they won in four or swept the team, or if, if that was something that they were able to do, that'd be great. It won't matter because people believe in this Phoenix team and they believe in the players that are on the Phoenix team more so. They don't necessarily believe in Jokic and that's fine. Like, Jokic has to prove it. Jokic has to uh, get it done, just like everybody else. And, and I think that we we think that he can. We think that he will. It's just more about kind of getting to that point. So I do think that what we talked about defensively, the biggest issues with Jokic for a – like they, they are going to allow a bunch of mid-range attempts. Like that's just something that they're going to do to Phoenix. They're not going to allow as many threes, and that will probably help them in the math game because – Somebody like Jamal Murray, somebody like Michael Porter, KCP. If you get a game where those guys combine for like 12 to 15 threes, then Phoenix is going to have a hard time matching that at times. Like they may not be able to win the math battle. And so Denver, even if they struggle on the defensive end, Jokic is going to score on the interior. Jokic is going to score on the exterior. Like, And then you've got guys that are raining down hellfire. So I do think that obviously – it's going to be the Suns. Are there any other teams outside of those two that you look at and think, okay, maybe we're underselling them a little bit? Not really. I mean, I, I don't want to just write teams off because you never know what, when, when teams get in the postseason what can happen. But Sacramento is a nice story. I don't think they have the firepower to match up with the Nuggets. And there's really nobody else. I, I, to me, I mean, are you afraid of the Lakers in the first round? No. Not, no. No. That's really, but that's let, cool. me, let, me, let me stop you there. Let me, I, I have to have a – like we have to have a conversation about this. The Lakers have their own issues. The Lakers have to get through the play playoffs. playoffs. They may not make the top 10. They might make the 11th seed or the 12th seed. And just because you finally trade away Russell Westbrook, who is now tanking his second team of the season in LA, uh, just because you, you have traded him away, it doesn't make you a much better roster. Yes, they are a better roster, but I would take Jokic and Murray over LeBron and AD. I would too, 100%. Sorry. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just because it's, it's coastal bias, right? It's because of who is on the roster. It's because of where they play. If that team had that roster, I mean, I know it's still LeBron's so who's going to get the, the fanfare or whatever. Um, but LeBron's numbers, if you break them down, they're not as good as they really look. He's been great this season. I'm not going to totally take that away from him. But he takes more He's shots. like shooting 30% from three. And he takes more shots than anybody in the league. Yeah. Whereas Jokic is, is 57th in the NBA in field goal attempts per game. And he's having, he's averaging almost, he's like what, four points less, five points less than LeBron on 20 fewer shots. That's, that's a little egregious, but 12, 13 fewer attempts. I, I don't, I don't see the Lakers. I, I'm not afraid of the Lakers in the first round. Like a lot of people are. I don't think Dallas, I think the Kyrie Luca thing just doesn't work. Um, yeah. They're talented. They could steal games obviously, but not enough to win a seven game series. Um, the Clippers, no. Um, I mean, who are we forgetting out West that could really be a threat? I, I mean, I still have a healthy respect for Minnesota because you you don't know what Cat's going to look like when he comes back. And maybe that changes their dynamic a little bit where Cat's had some success against Jokic recently and, and Gobert like, has, has been part of a team that has had success against right, Jokic. But, so. but Jokic has cooked Gobert in the postseason. Of course, yeah. So it's not like, like, look, this goes both ways. Obviously, Jokic got the and Denver got the last laugh in the end of that. But I, I do think that Denver would be fine against Minnesota. But could I see a world where Minnesota upset Denver? Yeah, I guess. Like, I, but that's that's mm-hmm. kind of where we're, we're dealing with here. Give <laughs> the guard play to do it. Yeah, probably not. But like, I mean, Mike Conley's better than the Russell. I Russell. love Mike Conley, my favorite non-nugget of all time. But I just <laughs> he's 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 past his prime. Yeah, they don't really have the shooters. Talk about uh, getting in a three-point shoot contest with the Nuggets. They don't. They they can't match the Nuggets on the perimeter. Yeah. Tell you what, I think we should probably leave it there. Uh, we're up over an hour. Had a good time on this particular show. 
Uh, Michael, it's been great having you on. Thanks for uh, having I, know I appreciate that you, it, man. This has been a lot of fun. It's of nice course. To, you're always in the background. Yeah, you're always hanging out. The scenes for the rest of these, but it was fun to get out and chat with you a little bit. So appreciate. Yeah, that. no, I think I, I hope we could do this more frequently. We should we should try to make this a regular thing, actually, where. Like if, if we for have an off day, we're just we're just hanging out, talking ball. Like this this is a good way to I think keep things fresh. So should be a lot of fun if, if we can possibly do it. But uh for everybody else, thank you for hanging out with us. Uh let's cue that outro music, Michael. Uh that, that is gonna do it. When you can see me clicking around. <laughs> That's very nice. That is gonna do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Really appreciate all the love. Uh, folks, we are going to be back after the Memphis, or not Memphis, the Wednesday game against the Chicago Bulls. Should be fun on that one. Jokic, obviously, he, he plays pretty well against Chicago, and he, and he usually plays. I think Michael Porter had a really great game the last time they played Chicago, too. So maybe we're in line for a, a great Michael Porter performance as well. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, Michael, Again, thank you so much for hopping on with me. For everybody else, uh, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, Make sure to go rate review on the audio side. And we'll talk to you guys very soon.